0: Bit of just a quick uh, summary of what we're going to be covering tonight. As I was preparing for tonight, and I was, uh, I started reading where Pastor Victor left off last week. Last week, uh, Pastor Victor started us in chapter six. We went through the first few verses, and I was reading the verses after that, and I really liked how the uh, the next mm, the next six verses of verses 7 through 13, how they kind of create a bit of a contrast to the first six verses. So verses 1 through 6, we have one story. Verses 7 through 13, we have uh, seemingly a second story. And I don't think anything in the scripture is coincidence. I don't think things are just kind of put together just by happenstance. And especially in the book of Mark, where um, he's very selective about what stories he tells us. Uh, and so uh, I've, I do want to backtrack a little bit. All that to say, uh, I want to backtrack a little bit uh, to the beginning of, of chapter 6 first, uh, look at a few things that we see there, and then go on to this next section, and then create a little bit of a contrast and, and, and see how how people are, re- are responding differently. To the, the presentation of the same gospel. It's the same gospel that's being taught, whether by Jesus or by his disciples, but we see very uh, markedly, vastly different reactions. So, um, last week, Pastor Victor was, was right to point out that Jesus does not marvel at much in the gospels. Um, we have this instance here, and The Bible will use other words. Sometimes it will say he was amazed or things like that. Uh, Not much causes that kind of reaction from him. Usually it's when he finds faith where one would not expect to find it, such as in a Gentile, or when he finds a lack of faith where one would expect to find it, uh, as in this chapter with a more Jewish audience. So uh, let's read these first six verses again. Uh, And and I'm I'm gonna make this kind of like like ear catching statement, but I hope you'll 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 hear me out. Uh, From a worldly perspective, from a strictly non spiritual, we are discounting the divine, the sovereign. uh, These passages have what some people would say this is Jesus's first failure, right? Um, Now we know better. We know that in truth it is not his failure, uh, but the failure of his his listeners. So. Mark chapter 6, then he went out from there and came to his own country. Trivia time, what would his own country be? Nazareth, very good. Some of your Bibles might say Nazareth, so if you did, then that's cheating, but that's okay. He came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. So the synagogue is, it's not exactly like church, but it is where... um, where teachers and 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 Jewish leaders would gather and discuss the the scrolls of the Old Testament, um, and so he he goes and begins to teach, and many hearing him were astonished. Now you hear that and you think, oh, that's they're astonished, they're impressed, and that's not that's not what's actually happening. Um, they're astonished, but they're saying, where did this man get these things, and what wisdom is this which he is given? To, I'm sorry, what wisdom is this which is given to him? that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the, the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. This is tragic. This is, this is, this is shameful. Uh, like I said, PV talked about this last week. It bears repeating. They're not impressed by him. They're offended by him. They're saying, who, who, where does this Jesus think he's coming from? You know who does he think he is? Uh, getting up here talking about all these miracles, uh, uh, thinking that he can teach us anything. We we know his background. It's it's worth noting that it is highly unusual to refer to anyone as the son of their mother, even if their mother was a widow. Typically, when you read scripture and you say and you read this is this person the son of, it's always the son of what, their father right? Even if their father's dead. Um, and so they're saying, this is Jesus, the son of Mary. Now, Christmas wasn't that long ago, right? We remember the Christmas story. Um, more than likely, the scandal of Mary getting pregnant outside of wedlock has continued to follow her and Jesus, and, has, and, and that's part of the stigma. So they're saying, this is you know, the illegitimate son of of Mary, You know, we, we know, Jesus, where you came from. Who do you think you are coming in here in a synagogue, teaching from the scrolls? Uh, your brothers are here with us. We know your brothers. Uh, they've told us stories about you. We know all about your family. And so they, they were offended by him. Um, verse 4 says, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled. There it is. He marveled because of their unbelief. And I'm going to stop right there, uh, halfway through verse 6. Uh, and so it would be easy for us to misunderstand what's happening here, because it says, and, and anytime the Bible, uh, to me, anytime I read the Bible and it says Jesus can't do something, I'm like, ah, that, I mean, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. I'm like, no, no, Jesus can do anything, right? Um, but it says that, that, uh, that he did no mighty works there because of their lack of faith. And it would be easy for us to read that and get the impression that, like, he's trying, that he's trying to heal someone, like someone comes to him with a broken arm or a broken leg, and, says, and just like any other time in scripture, it says, Jesus, and, you know, I have faith, please heal me. And Jesus is like standing over them, like trying to heal them and like, ah, I can't, heal, you know, and that would be obviously a false picture, right? Um, we can also get this idea, we, we, we can take that idea even further and create this, this heresy that somehow Jesus's power, his divine power and authority are directly tied to our level of faith. And so if we lack faith, then somehow that renders Jesus powerless, um, which is obviously not true. Jesus is never powerless, and then we can keep pursuing that further into what becomes similar to the modern day uh, the the extremes of of like modern day faith healing. Right now, we believe that the Lord still heals, and we believe that the Scripture says when you are sick, you should come and receive prayer for healing. So. We totally believe that God is still in the healing business, as they say. But um, and you know, if you're familiar with this, you know that taking that that principle to the extreme can become a very abusive tactic by the church, um, by the so-called church. When we find ourselves saying things like, "If you just had enough faith, then Jesus would heal you. If you just believed hard enough and prayed hard enough," Then, then Jesus would come and fix this problem or that problem for you. Um, when, when, when we tie the Lord's reaction and, and whether or not it's what we want him to do, when we tie that to having enough faith, um, then I think we are in dangerous territory. I think it's a dangerous doctrine. And, and for, for sure, um, Scripture definitely teaches that the outworking of Christ's power is in some way connected to our level of faith. I wouldn't say no. I'm, let, me, let me back that up. Not to our level of faith, just to our faith, okay? In some way, the outworking of his power is connected to, to our faith, um, but not in the sense of it having levels of, you know, if I, if, if I reach, you know, the, this, this highest level of faith, then I can get God to do whatever I want, and then he will always heal me, or things like that. And so I want to explore this a little bit, because it's very easy to take this What's happening here in Nazareth and create all kinds of heresies out of it. So let's, let's go through a few other examples of when Jesus tied faith to how people were healed. So these are Jesus' words himself. Uh, the first, and then some of these we've, we've recently covered, so this should be familiar. Uh, the first one is Matthew 9. And in Matthew 9, and I'm going to start in verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. So Jesus says, According to your faith. Let it be to you. Do you want me to heal you? Do you believe I can heal you? That's an important part of the issue here. Um, and they say, yes. It says, according to your faith, let it be. The next one is in Matthew 15, so a few chapters over. Matthew chapter 15, and I'm going to start in verse 22. It says, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And so she's a Canaanite. She's not a Jew. She's not from the people of Israel. Uh, and what Jesus, his initial response to her uh, seems, seems mean. It seems kind of cruel. But uh, Jesus knows what he's doing, as always. And this is one of those times when he will marvel again. Uh, I think the word's different. But he will have a response of being impressed. But he answered her not a word. He kind of ignores her at first. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. It's hard to, it's hard to make good things out of that. I'd like to think he's calling her a puppy. Right, puppies are less offensive. You know, you're just a puppy. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So she said, yeah, you're right. I'm not worthy. Lord. I'm not, I'm not a Jew. I'm not one of the Messiah's people, but I'm willing to take whatever scraps and crumbs that, that you're willing to give me, whatever it is, I, even if it's not the full version of you, I want whatever I can get. Then Jesus answered and said to her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. There it is. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So again, the healing is tied to great faith. I get a few more of these. One of them, uh, this next one, we just read last week. So this should be familiar. This is uh, the, the woman who had the issue of, of blood. In Mark chapter 5, I'm going to read two verses. I'm going to read verse 28, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 34. And verse 28, this is the woman who, who has had this, this blood issue for, for years and years and years. She says to herself, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And so she's willing to, to fight through this crowd. Uh, she's weak. She is, um, you know, I, I, I sometimes picture her crawling I don't know if she was or not, but if she's as, as weakened from loss of blood as we're led to, to believe, she's not like pushing her way through with any kind of force. She's having to, to find her way through this crowd. If I could just touch Jesus, just, just barely catch the slightest edge of his garment, then, then I, know, um, I know he can heal me. And then in verse 34, when he turns and when he realizes what's happened, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. There again, your faith is what has made you well. I got two more, and then we'll move on. These next two are from the book of Luke, Luke chapter seven. I'm going to read verses thirty-seven and thirty-eight, and then I'm going to skip forward to verse fifty. Verse thirty-seven. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus at the table, that when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And stood at his feet, behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wipe them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. So we're told that she's a sinner. Um. Usually, you know, the Bible is pretty specific about you know a person's background. We're led to believe that that she is uh, either a prostitute or some other um, unspeakable sin. You know, she's, she's lived a lifestyle of sin. Here she comes. You guys know the story. She breaks open this expensive bottle. The disciples are indignant. The hosts are indignant because they're saying, ah, what a waste. Get her out of here. Um, she's, you know, washing your feet with her tears. That's weird. You know, we don't want to be a part of that. Um, and then Jesus says, uh, after rebuking those who are complaining, he says to the woman, then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. One more. A little bit forward in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 17. And I'm going to start in verse 12, and we're going to read verses 12 through 19. This is the story of the lepers that Jesus healed. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, that's important, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. That's also important. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed, but why? Uh, I'm sorry, but where are the nine were there not any found who return to to give glory to God except this foreigner, because he is a Samaritan? And he said to him, "Arise, go your way; your faith has made you well." Now, there there are plenty more examples. You might be thinking to yourself, "We have we have, we've had enough examples. That's not why we need so many." Uh, because there's a common thread running through these. That just giving one or two or even three examples, I felt like didn't didn't emphasize it enough. Um, when Jesus says to someone, your faith has made you well, or your faith has, has saved you, first of all, first, it seems like it's, it's in direct opposition to what we're reading in chapter six, um, that it's, it's like the exact opposite thing is happening. In chapter six, there is a lack of faith. And so Jesus, it says, Jesus did not heal. And in all these other stories, Jesus commends them for their faith, and then they are, they, they are healed. But what do these uh, success and I use that in quotes, what do these success stories have in common? Um, if this were like a discussion, I would, I would wait in silence while you guys wrestled with it and gave me answers. But people are watching online. They don't have time for that. So um, I'll just tell you. Um, the common themes through this are that these people, in these examples, they hear that Jesus is nearby, and they come to him. They seek Him out. And, and, and we know, we know biblically that no one seeks the Lord on their own, that, that repentance and, and, and even obedience to, to calling is a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to draw someone before they ever come to Jesus. Uh, but these, these individuals, they respond to that calling with obedience and nothing is going to stop them from reaching Jesus. Okay, um, Their faith is such that they're willing to overcome whatever obstacle is in their way. They're fighting through crowds. They're they're embarrassing themselves. They're uh, they're making a spectacle of themselves because getting to Jesus is valuable enough to them to do that. Okay. Um, so um, what I'm going pres- to what, what what I want to say, what uh, what point I'm making is that faith is belief in action. That in chapter six. When Jesus does not heal, it's not because their faith is weak. It's not because their faith isn't strong enough. It's because their faith doesn't exist. Their faith is non-existent. Um, tell me where in Scripture uh, do we read about someone clawing their way to Jesus and, um, and, and, and asking for healing of any kind. And Jesus turns to them and says, I'm sorry, I'm all tapped out. You know, I can't. Where do we read about, you know, uh, the woman with, uh, with a broken leg coming and saying, I've been lame since I was a child. Could you heal me? And Jesus says, um, I'm sorry, your, your faith isn't quite there yet. When, when your faith gets a little stronger, then, then come see me and we'll talk, right? Um, we don't see that. Um, because I believe that scripturally speaking, there, there aren't levels to faith the way we think about levels to faith. We, now, Jesus does say sometimes, oh, ye of little faith, or how great is your faith. And we take those terms and we think that he's using them in terms of comparing to others. And, and he's not. You either have faith faith that Jesus is who he says he is, or you don't have faith that Jesus is who he says he is. The, the audience in Nazareth, they could not see beyond, beyond their own preconceptions. They, they had this, this preconception of Jesus as the, the kid that they grew up with, as the son of a promiscuous woman, as someone from, from the ghetto, and, uh, and here he is trying to teach us, us, um, and they could not get over that that preconception in their minds, and so that led them to have not not weak faiths, but non-existent faith. And I've said this plenty of times um, in in other testimonies that I've given, or just in conversations. So you've probably heard me say this before. Um, I'm not saying that that faith means that we never doubt, and faith means that that we never have insecurity, and that we never um, uh, have uncertainty. That's not what I'm saying. Um, my my personal struggle oftentimes is this. I have complete faith that Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. I don't always have faith that he will do whatever I want him to do. <laughs> yeah? And and I think that's, that's where we get it mixed up. That's where we get um, ourselves confused. Um, so a weakness of faith isn't you saying... Uh, I, I just don't, don't believe enough. You know, like, like Pastor Victor pointed out last week, the man who came to Jesus pleading, or pleading for his child, and, and his, his plea was, I, I have belief. Please strengthen my unbelief. You know, I, I do believe, but I am struggling. And, and, and I believe God honors that. It's, it's when we come to Jesus and we're like, uh, you're not who you say you are. Like, I, I don't think you can help me. It's not, I don't don't know if you will help me. I just don't think you can. And here's the point of this first story. When we come to Jesus like that, when we say, Jesus, I I, I have decided that you cannot help me, then he can do no great works in our presence. Not because he's powerless to do so, because he will never force himself upon us, right? He will never force us to believe in him. Um, And if people... In in Jesus's time, if, if these people in our examples weren't coming to Him, weren't um, following in obedience to come to Jesus, then they would have never experienced His His healing. Um, so, so yeah, why why am I you know harping on that? I feel like I'm you know I'm harping, I'm I'm I'm, I'm emphasizing that quite a bit because it's important to distinguish between a lack of faith diminishing Christ's power and a lack of faith simply not being able to experience power. Our faith never diminishes or elevates. <laughs> um, we, can't, we can't increase Christ's power or decrease it. And that should be obvious. But we can minimize our experience of it by lacking faith. Um, and it's also worth pointing out that in, e- in each of these scenarios, faith always came before healing. Faith comes before seeing. So many people want to see first. Jesus, I'll believe in you if you heal me first. I don't know for sure, but I can't think of a time in the Gospels where someone came to Jesus like that, and he honored it. Jesus says, I don't believe in you, but if you heal me, then I'll believe in you. It's always, I believe you can, please, will you, right? Um, and, and so the other thing we got to be careful with is, is there are those of us, we have loved ones now, we have people in our church Um, even people in this room in the past, maybe, uh, where we will come to Jesus in faith, where we will come to him praying for healing, begging for healing for a loved one or for ourselves. And the healing doesn't come the way we want it to, right? And so then we're like, well, what about that? Because my faith is no different from these people that we're reading about, and they received healing, um, why, so, so does that mean that I don't have faith? Does that mean that, that indeed my faith is non-existent? Um, and so my challenge to us with that is that um, if we indeed are coming to him in faith and we're not experiencing the healing that we want, we are still experiencing some aspect of his power. I am forever grateful and I've used, if, if you've ever come and asked me for prayer, um, and and the Lord has you know led us to, to pray together, then you've probably heard me say this, because one of the scriptures that I'm so thankful for is the testimony of Paul when he talks about how God didn't answer his prayer. So I've I've used this over and over again. Uh, it's in Second Corinthians chapter 12, in Second Corinthians 12, seven through nine. You guys know this. But This is one of my favorite passages to go to because it reminds us that just because we don't get the healing we want physically, then we shouldn't feel cheated. We shouldn't feel like, oh, um, you know, Jesus isn't hearing me. He's not answering me. He's not interested in healing me. Um, Paul says in Second Corinthians 12, 7, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. In other words, unless I should like, you know, get full of myself, unless I should begin to feel proud because of everything God's shown me and how he's using me to teach others, that could easily get to my head. That could easily puff me up. So Paul has a good bit of self, self-awareness. It's always good to have some self-awareness. Okay? Paul understands himself. He's like, I know me. I know if God didn't intervene, I would be an arrogant person because of everything I get to teach everybody else. So to keep that from happening, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Those are strong words. A uh, messenger of Satan. I, he's probably using a little bit of hyperbole there, um, but he's saying there is something in my life that is just, it's just this constant um, uh, uh, disruption, this, this constant annoyance, or maybe even a constant physical pain and ache. We're not really sure what he's talking about. Different people have thrown different theories. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is, is tormenting Paul. Paul feels tormented by it. He says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He didn't say, I I asked nicely or I just prayed or I suggested to God, hey, here's an idea. No, he says, I pleaded, I'm begging God to remove this from me. Three times I did that. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Um, if we could take hold of that uh, over not just our lives, but even over the loved ones that we care so deeply for. We think we're not experiencing the power of God when we don't receive physical healing. And Paul said, I, I'm not being healed but I'm, I'm experiencing a whole new uh, aspect of power in Christ that I had not known previously. The power to, to gracefully endure under torment, under oppression, and still believe that Jesus is more than enough. My grace is sufficient for you. So it's God's prerogative which form of his power we get to experience when, when we pray. Either it's an amazing testimony of healing, and, and we've seen those, we've, we've heard of those. Uh, my guess is each of us probably knows at least one person who's been, who, who, who has befuddled the doctors because they go in one day with, with something, they come back weeks later and it's gone. Uh, I hear about that happening all the time. There's no formula to it. There's no like, okay, this person prayed this way on this day and with this much oil in their head, you know, um, it's just God does what God wants. And then we hear probably more so of the people who, who seek prayer constantly, and it's a constant battle. And there is no permanent physical healing. Are they experiencing any less of God's power? Are they experiencing any less of God's answer to their prayers? Uh, no. But in fact, their testimony, in my opinion, their testimony is even stronger than the testimony of the healed person. Because here we have someone standing up, um, enduring, progressing forward, continuing to follow Jesus under tremendous strain, under tremendous difficulty, and still rising up and praising the Lord and saying, "It doesn't matter if you heal me or not; I'm, I'm yours." To me, there's that's that's powerful, that's strong, and so again. Um, our faith does not diminish the power of God. Um, it's not like Jesus was trying to heal people, and he couldn't. Um, uh, in in our prayers, each of us experience some aspect of God answering. So let's 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 move forward. So so in Nazareth, uh, Jesus uh, he, he he marvels, he he's amazed, not in a good way, but because of the lack of faith even amongst his own his own hometown. And then verse 7, we're not told how long of a time transpired between verses 6 and 7. At the end of verse 6, it says, Then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching. And he called the, the, he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a, except a staff no bag, no bread, no no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Also he said to them, In whatever place you, you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. It's a very simple message. It reminds me of the message that Jonah preached to, to Nineveh. Very simple. All it said was repent. You know, nothing else. Jonah had a different motive, though. He, he didn't want them to. Um, but that seems to be all they're saying. I'm sure they're saying a little bit more. But the focus of their message is that people should repent. It's not a very popular message. not a very easy thing to hear, right? And they cast out And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so, you know, in the first part of this chapter, we, we read Jesus didn't heal many. He didn't cast out any that we see. Um, he, he did not heal many people. And then in the very next story, we read that he sends out his disciples. Um, he, he gives them authority. That's important. They're not going on their, on their own authority. He, he, he gives them authority. And then they heal many, and they cast out many Unclean spirit. It's a very fascinating thing, I think, that's um, that's happening there. First of all, let me just say that a lot has been made about uh, methodologies here. Uh, I'm not going to get into methodology of evangelism. That's Rick's territory. Um, uh, but I do think it's it's uh, it's not the point. Um, I don't think we're meant to take this passage and be like, okay. This is how we share the gospel every time, because we know the gospel was shared differently in Scripture depending on the, the, the situation. Um, but, what, but, but these instructions are specific for a reason. Jesus is saying, I want to make sure that every step of the way, um, you are reminded of your complete dependence on me for this process. You're not to take any food or provisions. So um, this isn't like, like a one-day trip, like, hey, go into town, come back in a couple hours. Uh, we are led to believe that they're they're gone for several days, maybe even weeks. Otherwise, why would Jesus talk about staying at someone's house, right? Uh, and so, can you imagine? Can you imagine uh, organizing a mission trip if you've ever been on or organized a mission trip, or organizing any trip for that matter, and you're making no plans for what you're going to eat, guys? Like my life revolves around my next meal. Like I, I I have to make sure that's planned. Otherwise, I'm just restless. As long as I know when and where I'm eating, then I'm fine. If I don't, then i I don't know what's going to happen. Can you imagine, like, making no plans for, for food, and there's no, there, there's no safety net. He says, take no money with you. You're going on a long trip. You're going to go into all these villages and towns, and um, don't take any money, don't take any food. Jesus is a terrible mission trip planner, right? He's not thinking about safety. <laughs> He's not thinking about making sure people come back in one piece, right? Right? Um, this, this, is, this is a, a, a radical uh, commission, and, and he's doing it intentionally, not as, as a methodology of evangelism, but as a reminder that everything that happens, in everything that happens, you, you have no control over it. You cannot provide for yourselves on this mission. Any other mission in life that you go on, separate from the kingdom, you know, you're on your own, you take care of yourself, it's fine. When you're on mission for the kingdom... All right. um, you cannot rely on yourself. Everything you do, you rely on the power of the Spirit. You, you rely on the commissioning of God. Um, and we see people coming and being healed and being uh, rescued from these oppressive spirits. Uh, and it's, this, it's, uh, it's in such contrast with, with uh, the rejection at Nazareth. And, and it reminds me of what we talked about with, uh, with the demoniac that Jesus rescued in chapter 5. Um, if you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, he wanted to go with Jesus. Like when Jesus casts out the demon, he says, Lord, I want to stay with you. And Jesus says, no, no, you need to stay here and be a witness of, of, of how compassionate God's been, been on you. Because those people wanted Jesus to leave also. Isn't that funny how many people want Jesus to leave, you know? Um, but every time people want Jesus to leave, he leaves someone behind, or he sends someone else in his place. And there's something, again, there's something about, about these walls that people put up. Because some people know full well their need for Jesus. Some people are, are, they're at that place of desperation. They're willing to fight through the crowd. They're willing to carry their friend up to a roof and tear through the roof just so that their friend can meet Jesus. Some people are at that place already in life where it's like, yes, I, I know, I don't need to be convinced. I know I need Jesus. And there are so many other people who are not and whose defensive walls um, are difficult to bring down. On On a much smaller scale, I'm not saying like that this is like me, but so on a much smaller scale, um, I have felt this way when, when I'm... You know, meeting new people out and about in life, not at church. And, and someone asks me, you know, as people do, so what do you do for a living? I have never, let me, let me be clear, I have never been ashamed of my calling as a pastor. I feel immensely blessed and privileged um, and unworthy uh, to, to, to serve the church in this way. But I learned pretty, pretty early on that as soon as someone asks you so what do you do? And you jump in with, "Oh, I'm a pastor." You know, <laughs> um, what do you think happens? You can you can almost it's almost visible. You can see their faces change. In fact, it has been visible for me before, where um, you know people that have known me just in 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 a social environment, and you know we're not really close or anything, so they don't really know why why I do. They know a little bit about me, and then they find out, oh, you know, he's a pastor, and you just see like. And what's happening now? They're thinking, "Have I cussed in front of this guy? <laughs> you know, um, have I? What have I done in front of him? What's he going to say to me?" And and the walls go up. Uh, and there have, been, which is not. I mean, I'm not saying that's an excuse. I'm not saying that that, that we shouldn't still share the gospel. But what I am saying uh, is that people tend to let their guard down when they feel like they're they're around someone who is a peer when they feel like they're, they're around someone who, who is on their level. And that's, that's a false pretense. But it's how people feel anyway. Uh, and so Jesus is sensitive to that. Um, the people in Nazareth, they can't hear the gospel because they're too hung up on who Jesus is. Fine, I'll send my disciples instead, and they'll do the work for me, right? Um, so that's what we are called to do. Uh, I, again, there, there are some places that... Um, that if a pastor shows up with, with a three-piece suit or like the collar or, I guess in our context, a Hawaiian shirt, I don't know, that probably wouldn't be as offensive. But you show up, you know, you say, I'm a pastor, who wants to hear me? You're going to get probably a small audience. You might get a couple. You show up and you just build relationships and you begin to connect with people on their level and they, they don't encounter religion at that point. They're not encountering their false pretense of religion They're encountering another person, another person who has been changed radically by Jesus, and there is power in that. Uh, So I think that is what's happening with the disciples. Clearly, they have been radically changed by Jesus. Jesus has imparted his authority upon them. They don't get power from themselves. They get power from Jesus, and they're able to go um, and be effective in ways that Jesus could not. And and I know it it sounds heretical to say that, but Jesus himself says it. Um, he says in John fourteen twelve. he doesn't say that I cannot, but um, he essentially says you're going to do greater things than I did. In John fourteen twelve, this is in the upper room the night before he's crucified. He's talking to his disciples. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. So you're going to do the same things I do. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus himself says, guys, when I leave, you think I did some amazing things. Wait till you see what God's going to do through you. It's going to be even more amazing, um, because you're going to have opportunities that I've never had. Uh, you're going to be able to get into places where, where people just wouldn't let me come in. Okay, um, That continues to be true today about the church. Uh, God has called each of us to go into places that pastors can't go, that missionaries can't go, that teachers can't go, that if, if Jesus, I, I firmly believe this, if Jesus were to show up physically on earth today, a ton of people would flock to him, and I think a lot more would probably move further away from him. I just think, I think that's what would happen you can't read the book of Revelation and see what's gonna happen in the end days when, when he's literally physically reigning on earth and people are still going to try to come and defeat him in battle. Like, like just the, the length of the human stubborn will, okay? Um, so um, he continues to leave agents to go for him. And so uh, he's, he, Jesus never intended during his time on earth Or afterward, now that he's at the right hand of the Father, he never intended to be the only one sharing the good news. He has intentionally arranged the dynamics of the gospel. For some reason, Jesus has intentionally arranged the dynamics of the gospel to include us. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Um, And so as his agents, as his ambassadors, we carry that mission forward. Let's pray. Father, there, there, there's much to pray for here. I pray, first of all, Lord, that, that our faith would never be found lacking, that, uh, that you would never have to um, find another way or seek out another way because our faith is lacking too much. Lord, I pray that when you want to move amongst us, when in, in us and around us and through us, Lord, that you would find us willing, ready, and faithful. Uh, Lord, I do pray that as we go forward uh, in, in the same uh, mission and spirit as, as your disciples, Lord, that, that you would move in us in power. You would move in our words. Um, and that lives would be changed. Father, we, we pray for healing. We, we, we long to see physical healing. It's so exciting and, and impressive and gets us uh, pumped up. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would, you would teach us to long even more to understand the sufficiency of your grace and the power of that uh, and, and how, how, much, how much stronger of a testimony that is to who you are. Uh, Father, we offer you all these things and pray you would do more through them than we could ever ask or imagine for your glory and for your purpose and your kingdom in Christ's name.